0: Peace of Christ be with you as we continue to file into the sanctuary and you get settled in your seat. I invite you to take a couple of deep breaths to slow down, to allow your awareness to open up and recognize the presence of the living spirit in with and among us right now. let us worship in beloved community
1: please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship let your distractions remain outside leave your competing alliances at the door Listen for what might change your path.
2: May be seated. I want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is good to be here with you today. If you're visiting with us, if this is your first or second time here, a special welcome to you. You have chosen a good day to be here, though any is a good day to be here, but today, following worship and a brief congregational meeting, we have a barbecue for you, sponsored by our high school youth group, and we certainly invite you after worship to head into our Finley Hall and enjoy the barbecue. I want to point out in the bulletin this QR code here. Uh, we're trying to move away from passing those pew pads every Sunday. So if you're new and might want to share with us some of your contact information so you can be in touch with us. If you have a prayer request that you'd like us to know about, if there's just anything that, that Rob or I or Jeff should know, um, just scan this with your phone and you can fill in the form that pops up. You can do it now. You can do it any time during the week. If QR codes aren't your thing, you can also just take a pencil and write right here in the bulletin, tear it out and pass it, give it to the offering plate or hand it to Rob or me um, on your way out. But we certainly want to be able to connect with you. Will you join me now in our community prayer? Let us pray together. Jesus showed us, oh God, what it looked like to move through the world attending to the need right in front of Him. We have built institutions and elaborate rituals in His name that sometimes have done little to equip us to walk in His way. Sometimes, in fact, our practices distract us from the very need before us, help us to find clarity of purpose and clarifying practices that we might learn to move in Christly fashion throughout world, not losing sight of what our faith needs. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that the love of God has no bounds. Even if we think it's too late, it is not. For in Christ, we are forgiven. We are set free. So may we go forth with courage renewed. Amen. Now, having prayed together in unison, this is the time in worship where you're invited to share the prayers that are on your hearts and minds today. If you come to worship with a joy or concern that you'd like to share, just raise your hand and let us know. Yeah, Carol, sure. Wonderful, Carol. Sharing a joy. We have a hiking group that hikes every second and fourth Friday morning. Um, traditionally, it tends to be uh, mostly women, but it doesn't have to be. And we had two men join us on Friday, which is great. So, <laughs> and then a wonderful lunch hosted by Nancy. So yes, it was a joy and also an invitation. If second or fourth Friday mornings work for your schedule, to join in. Others? Yeah, Chris. Chris had surgery a little over a week ago, right, and is recovering well and offering a gratitude for all of you for supporting her in prayer. Yeah, Glenn. offering a joy that his daughter pastor boards and has more letters behind her name now. Wonderful. Anyone else? Yeah, Carol. Car uh, prayers for a friend of hers who's having a heart problem has been already hospitalized for three weeks and probably will be still for another week at least, so healing prayers for her. Yeah, Jim. Uh, no, prayers, for who's with ALS. Mm. prayers for a good friend Chris, just diagnosed with ALS. Let's have just a few moments of quiet, and then, oh wait. Brandon. I So I didn't want to call you out, but I was really hoping that you would share with us because we've been praying for this journey, right, for many Sundays. So Brandon shares that his team won their Super Bowl, and that truly is a joy, absolutely. What fun to be able to play a sport you love. All right, so let's have a few moments of quiet, and uh, then we'll join together in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and for that we offer our gratitude. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Father.
0: so near to the heart of God I forgot to invite the kids forward (laughs) and I invite the uh, children forward for the time of discovery that we're off to the readings any young folks feel free to come forward and some of you may be watching at home still and that's good too all right nice to see you all well, I want to tell you a story. This is one of the Jesus stories. And one time he was entering uh, a town called Jericho and going through it. And when he was there, there was a person named Zacchaeus. Now, for a living, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which many came and took money from everybody. And because of that, wasn't liked very much because often tax collectors in the time would take money and they'd keep some from themselves and they'd take more than they were supposed to you know good that's great and um, he wanted to see Jesus really badly but because he was a little guy he couldn't see over the crowds so he climbed up a tree to see that's right to see Jesus and when Jesus saw him he said I got to hang out with you. I got to go to your house tonight and, and have dinner and spend, the time, and spend some time with you. And everybody was so angry about that because they thought, gosh, Jesus is having dinner. Jesus' amazing teacher is having dinner with this person who does all these bad things. This doesn't make sense. But that leaves me with a lot to wonder about, friends, I got to tell you. I wonder why Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, was so eager to see Jesus. I wonder if it was hard for Zacchaeus to be short. (laughs) If he got made fun of. If he didn't feel very good about that. I wonder if Zacchaeus climbed a lot of trees. Maybe when he was young. I wonder if that was a safe place for him that's what you do yeah that's what I used to do too I wonder why Jesus when he saw him immediately said yep that's my guy I got to go spend time with him I wonder why the people were mad that Jesus went to spend time with him and I wonder what you're going to wonder about more as you spend more time in this story now, oh, Catherine, are you the one? Well, you want Catherine's going to come down here and Sophia. One of you is, yeah, Sophia, come on down. Oh, terrific, Sophia. Thank you for doing this. And she, after we sing, as we sing to you, she will lead you to your Sunday school. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God serve. Oh, look at that.
1: First reading is from the book of Judges, chapter 11, verses 29 through 40. Listen for what the Spirit is saying. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. He passed on to Mitzvah of Gilead, and from Mitzvah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whomever comes out the doors of my house to meet me when I return victorious from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's to be offered up by me as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He inflicted a massive defeat on them, from Aurora to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 towns, and as far as Abel, Karamim. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home in Mitzvah. There was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and with dancing. She was his only child. He had no son or daughter except her. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. Here endeth the first reading. Thanks be to God.
0: The second reading comes from Luke's Gospel, the 19th chapter. Verses 41 to 44, let's try and see what spirit might have for us today in these troubling, challenging readings. As Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, But now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and will surround you and will hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. A person goes to their spiritual director, struggling with a decision that they feel has gotten away from them, that they can't change, that they're stuck in it. And the director says, well, give me an image for what that feels like. And they say, it's as if I've gotten on a train and it's left the station and it's speeding up and there's no stop in sight and I'm trapped. There's nothing I can do. It's too late. You ever have that feeling? You've you've made a decision, it's, it's gone. You're too far down the road to mix metaphors. That ship has sailed. That's three travel metaphors. One, same genre, but mixed. So... It's a, a difficult feeling. There's nothing you can do about it. Here we have this, uh, this strange story. Someone named Jephthah who wants so badly to have victory in battle, in bargains with God, and says, God, if you just deliver enemies into my hand, I will give you as an offering. Whoever comes out of the door first of my home. This strikes me as extraordinarily poor planning for a military leader who's supposed to be good at these things, I would think. But perhaps it's perfect as a metaphor for how desperate we are to get what we want and just what we would trade for violence sometimes to conquer what we want. Jephthah returns victorious only to lose because who walks out of his door to greet him but his only daughter, who he's now promised over as an offering, a burnt offering. Imagine the weight of that moment. We're not so good at consequences. Even when we've been warned about what they'll be, even when we bargained them in advance, Don't do this or that's going to happen. So what do we do? This, because that's not going to happen till later. And we can just push that off and not think about it. And when it comes, act as if we didn't know or or one better, blame someone else for it. I mean, the examples of this are too obvious and too widespread to even enumerate them, right? Just kicking consequences down the road for what we think we want in the moment, what we think is most important in the moment. And we'll pay that bill later. Part of our inability to fully weigh the measure of consequences is related to our inability to truly value things for how they should be valued. We have a skewed sense of what's actually valuable. And so we'll sell out all kinds of precious things down the road for what we think is important now, which often turns out to be not so valuable at all. And to be evolved in a spiritual sense, you have to learn to disentangle yourself from the cultural values of the time, because so often they are skewed, and they kick consequences down the road. And it's so rare that when we see someone do it, it's striking. I was blown off guard, taken off guard, caught off guard. I was off guard recently. (laughs) Now, this is a good metaphor, because I'm about to talk about a basketball player. So I was uh, caught off guard when I read recently that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, famous basketball player from way back when, had sold off, auctioned off, four of his championship rings along with some of his other memorabilia. Now, if you're not a sports fan, you need to know that the ring is the emblem of the championship. So much so that when somebody is nearing the end of their career and they've yet to win one, they they move around teams and they call it chasing rings because it stands for everything you've worked for your whole life and it's got a ton of diamonds in it okay he auctions them off not for money yes for money but not for money for himself they go to his skyhook foundation which provides stem education science technology engineering mathematics for children disadvantaged children in southern california And he makes a stunning description of that. He says these jewels that would just sparkle in some room that are a testament to something I did long ago don't really have much value compared to what it's like to see a child see a caterpillar for the first time and to imagine what that could do for their life. That's value, right? Do you see the shift? That's crazy by our standards. But he sees something. Now, if you know anything about Karim Abdul-Jabbar, that shouldn't surprise you. He's a very thoughtful person, involved in the civil rights movement during his playing days, and a thoughtful essayist now. He puts out essays almost every week. Celebrity record holder in jeopardy, I believe, to this day. (laughs) Uh, Had a religious conversion to Islam in his younger years. So, I assume that had some impact on his values. Our religion, our spirituality should impact our values. It should help us define what's important to us, which is just another way of saying what's precious, what's holy, what's sacred, what's even divine, and how to recognize that right in front of us. That's actually the subject of Jesus' critique in the passage you heard a few moments ago. He's outside the holy city, the epicenter of his religious community. Jerusalem, that's where the temple is. That's where the community learns what's holy and where holy is and how to value it and honor it and prioritize your life accordingly. And when Jesus looks at that, he says they've lost sight of it. They don't see it they've confused themselves what's holy and what's not he says in particular uh, they've lost sight of what makes for peace now a couple of asides are important here in light of what's going on today that phrase makes for peace is quite a telling one as someone who claims to be committed to nonviolence, I'm Mindful of the fact that often we speak up for nonviolence only in times of war when, quite frankly, the opportunities for nonviolence have been squandered or already tried or have been failed. And if that's all you do is you shout out for peace in the middle of war. Well, you may not be as helpful if you do what Jesus recommends, which is making peace all the time, investing in peace all the time, working for it as if peace depends on it all the time, not just in times of conflict. In fact, more in times where there isn't conflict. And because Jesus' condemnation of the city is in battle terms, he foretells a time when they will be destroyed, and he describes it in pretty brutal terms. And because you heard an earlier story where God's hand was involved in a bargain that yielded in both war and bloody sacrifice, it's worth talking a little bit about God's hand in violence because it shows up so much in our tradition. And a couple of things are worth saying about that. First, just because people in the biblical world, or actually I should say worlds, because the Bible was written through generations and generations and generations, thousands of years, because they believed that God's hand was in War, and somehow that was a punishment, that was an outgrowth of God's wrath. Does that mean you have to believe that? It's a question at least worth asking before we just accept it? As if we can't evolve in the way we think about things. And secondly, even if you accept it, You have a uh, a way of seeing the scriptures that holds them in a certain regard that you, it says it, and you accept it. Here is God's hand in this particular story and other stories, perhaps, in scriptures. Does that mean that God's hand is always in every war, in every moment, in every way? I mean, we have this tendency to universalize every biblical text when often the texts are about particular moments and particular situations, so I don't think we should make that leap so unthinkingly are we to assume that God's hand is in Putin's invasion of Ukraine? Let's just say it rather than dance around it. That somehow the U- people of Ukraine are not as faithful as the Russians are, even though they happen to belong, many of them, to the same faith? That there's a scorecard and, up oh, Russia outscored Ukraine and therefore this invasion is justified? I don't think many of us would believe that and even if you believe no god's hand is in this because they will repel that invasion and they will prevail well are we to so quickly dismiss the casualties the loss of life i'm struck by the language of these texts and the children within you will be lost and we know hospitals where mothers are giving birth have been bombed are we so casually to say oh but you know god's got a plan"? Maybe God does, but I'm a little more careful about knowing and talking about what I know about what God's plan is. I think our task is to figure out what our role is in all of this, more than being so flippant about knowing what we think God's role in it was. I think this story that you heard earlier is really about us more than it is about God, and God is the mirror that shows us our nature, if you ask me. But let's return to Jesus' central part, central point. You didn't recognize the time of God's visitation to you, he says to the people. Here God was right in front of you, the holiest of holies, the most sacred thing, the most valuable, the most precious thing. It was right in front of you, and you missed it. You missed it. Can we relate to that? Easy to judge them, but have we done that too? Examples are all around us. Let's take a small one, one about this big. You all know we lost our cat, Sweet Pea, a couple of weeks ago. She's about this big. She's a little loaf of bread. And uh, all these emotions come over you when you lose an animal, right? Or a loved one, or have a regret. You just think, oh, all the times I should have done this. Oh, and she loved to play. And there's so many times that we were too busy to play with her or just let her sit in our lap. We we're too busy cleaning the house. Or, no, that's not true. But, too, <laughs> but all the regrets, they just pile up. Why didn't I? Why didn't I? Why didn't we? Didn't we? Couldn't. What if we'd? Uh, and, and then it feels like it's too late. Why don't we recognize what's precious right in front of us while it's there? Why? it's hard. It's hard. Life is hard because you're being pulled in a million directions every second of the day, many of which are legitimate, many of which are important. It's hard. Okay, bigger example. We started a group when the shelter-in-place order came where we would share what we were watching as we are all confined to our homes obsessing over Netflix or whatever your preferred platform, so we would get on Zoom every couple weeks and talk about what we were watching, and that group has persisted even as the doors have opened up, and this past couple weeks we watched the film uh, Don't Look Up, Adam McKay's uh, satirical allegory on climate change, right? So the premise is there's a comet coming to the earth, it's going to destroy it, and then there's this ridiculous behavior of kind of ignoring it or not really mobilizing in a way Adequate to address it, right? And then there's this moment. I'm this, you've had a chance to watch it, so if you don't want to know, you can get up and walk out. And then I can say, look, I had five people walk out of my sermon. I was so provocative. Uh, it's okay, you can help the high schoolers cook. I'm stalling, nobody's moving. Um, they're gathered around for a meal at the end. It's a very thinly veiled metaphor. Hollywood doesn't do religion great, but they try. Uh, So they're at a Last Supper, and they're breaking bread, and they're sharing, and the lead character says, as the comet races toward the planet, we really did have everything, didn't we? We really did have everything, didn't we? And his point wasn't that it was perfect or that it was easy, but that they had so much, and they didn't recognize it. And they actually even had what they needed to face this challenge, but they refused to just kind of look at it and take it on earnestly. And it was too late. Jephthah comes home from battle, ready to celebrate his victory with his family. Whoops, forgot what he'd promised. And who comes out to greet him first? Any parent knows this. If it's not your dog, it's your child. And this is what he says to her when his bargain comes due. Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble for me. Ever notice how we project our failings onto the innocent? (laughs) You brought me low. I wonder what she said back to him. Did she just look at him with eyes welling with tears. He continues, for I've opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. And I have one simple question for Jephthah. Why not? Why not? Why not take back your vow? What's going to happen? God's going to smite you? Well, you've kind of smited your daughter, probably worth a try. Either refuse to accept that God is the God of bargains who would trade your daughter for a victory in battle, right? Remember Shane Claiborne, we quoted him last week, says if your theology does not make you more loving, get rid of your theology. If your God does not make you more loving, get rid of your God. No, you don't need to dodge from that. Step right into that light, Or say, fine, I made the deal, but take me, not her. Isn't that what a responsible parent would do? You don't pass on the consequences of your actions that you either foolishly or earnestly made and just couldn't see how it was going to go onto your children who did nothing to deserve it. That's not what an adult does. That's not what a true parent does. A true parent assumes the consequences for themselves, actually, even if their child was at fault. That's what a responsible parent does. But it's too late, he assumes. And that's where he's wrong, I think. Because it's almost never too late. Almost never. Granted, you don't get the choices you want all the time, but you almost always have choices. And and, and the the trick is to not fall for the trap that you have none. You may not get the full range, but you do get some. I follow a, a, a climate communicator. She's a scientist, but she also studies the way we talk about this because part of what folks are realizing is we don't talk about this in a way that's very helpful for people. And I think an exciting movement in the environmental movement that's happening now is the recognition that um, people that are calling doomers are as unhelpful as deniers. Now, I don't like l- calling names to anybody, but you understand what I'm getting at with those categories. Because both ways of going about it Keep us from making good choices. Either it's all lost, there's no hope, it's all falling apart, so we just give up and do nothing. Or none of it's real, this is just a whatever, and so there's no reason to do anything. Neither is actually helpful. And so, in fact, we need to be pulled into that space where most of us actually are. So we have some meaningful choices to make that could have real consequences for people that could bless our children or at least spare them from some of the harm that they may otherwise inherit. We didn't get to save our cat's life. She died. We got, we got a gift of like a week where, where she was around and man, oh man, did we hold her. She fell asleep in my wife's arm every day, at least once. When she wasn't sleeping there, she slept on a heating pad and we brushed her and we hand fed her. And there's no way she didn't know in whatever way she could know that she was loved. And she died at home because in the middle of the night, we couldn't get her anywhere. It wrapped in a blanket right with us right there. All right. Not the choice we want. But we got a choice. And in that moment, she got the recognition that she was holy. Always choices, always an opportunity to recognize. You're on that train. It's left the station. It's speeding up. You feel trapped. You can't breathe. And then all of a sudden, the spiritual director says it starts to slow down. At first you think it's an illusion, but then you realize, no, it's slowing down. And you don't see a station coming, but it just stops right in the middle of this gorgeous field. And you get up and you walk over to the doors and they open up and this spring air just comes in and greets you. And you grab a light bag and you throw it over your shoulder and you step out onto the cool earth. You have a whole range in front of you. And you step out into a field you thought was impossible. Amen.
2: You may be seated. I do invite you to take a look at the back of the bulletin, see what's coming up. We have our Holy Week schedule there. Holy Week begins in two weeks. So if you're interested when all those worship services will be, um... That is in there for you. Um, For Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, Rob and I uh, will need some folks to do some readings, some scripture readings. So if you know you're going to be at one of those services and are interested in participating in worship, uh, just let us know. Following worship today, we will have a brief congregational meeting. Uh, We will um, be introducing some budget adjustments and then have a couple of votes on pastor salary and a new deacon and a new nominating committee member. So you're welcome after worship to just remain here um, for the brief congregational meeting. And then, as I mentioned earlier in worship, you're invited into Finley Hall for our youth barbecue they um, are offering the barbecue for free but they will certainly gratefully accept your donations um, that will help them on their mission trip this summer if for whatever reason you're not planning to stay for the congregational meeting don't skip the barbecue you can just you can head straight there too Um, we definitely want to support them Uh, next sunday is the first sunday of the month that means it's communion sunday um, and for the first time in two years, we are going to return to uh, Walk Forward Communion uh, with servers here at the front, and you can get your elements here at the front. Um, if that is something you're not ready for yet, that is totally okay. You're still welcome to bring your own communion elements and take communion in the pew. Um, so we want you know, whatever is best for you. In addition, the first Sunday of the month is when we collect diapers for the Canal Alliance, we collect diapers anytime but we have a special push on the first sunday of the month i was talking to carol on friday and she said let's get a lot of diapers in april so you're invited to to bring your diapers next sunday Um, as you leave on the table out in the narthex are um, some member surveys Um, We're really trying to get our database updated and moved into the 21st century. And one of the ways we do that um, is by um, putting in our database things that you're interested in. That way, when an opportunity comes up here at the church, we're able to match you with opportunities to serve. Um, By filling out the survey, you're not signing up to do anything in the moment. Don't worry. You're just giving us some information about what sorts of things you're interested in, what gifts and talents you have. So you are invited to take a survey and fill it out. Finally, if you're one who likes to plan ahead, Uh, May 21st is a Saturday, Habitat for Humanity is having a special interfaith build in San Francisco, and they're specifically reaching out and asking faith communities to send just a few people. So they're looking for three people from Westminster to join them in San Francisco for a Habitat build. That's May 21st. If you're interested in being one of those three to represent Westminster, uh, see Kurt Peterson, where are you? I'm, uh, there he is. He's in the back if you're interested. Um, and uh, you can sign up with him. Yes. Are they preferring people who no Kurt, do you know the answer to that? That is an excellent question because that would take me right out of the running. Uh, do you know, are they preferring skilled labor or? Uh, it doesn't have to be bad skill, but they are doing framing. Framing. Okay. Helpful if you're comfortable with framing. Okay, oh, okay, you need to be able to use a hammer, says Kurt. So my, my experience with Habitat is they're really good at teaching you what you need to know, um, because I know nothing in that realm. Um, all right, so with that, I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn, 707.
0: When you do get to the barbecue, uh, eventually, I know you'll be eager to sit with your friends and catch up, but I invite you also to find of you don't know and invite them to your table or join them at their table that we might continue to grow the bonds of faith with everyone here, new and old alike. What we'll do is after the blessing uh, and the postlude, uh, we'll begin the congregational meeting right away. So during the postlude, come on, move down front. If you're sticking around, if you have to go get your kids or something else, you can uh, exit quietly during the postlude, and then we'll begin right away.
2: I'm looking at Lee Darby there and realizing I forgot to say something. Say it, So away. Lee has very generously donated one of her handmade quilts oh, yeah. to the youth ministry, and she's going to be out there. She's, what we're going to do is we're going to raffle it off. So Lee's going to be out there um, selling raffle tickets. If you want to buy a raffle ticket to uh, join in the raffle for Lee's quilt, and all the proceeds are going to go to the youth ministry. So thank you, Lee.
0: It's a gorgeous quilt, by the way. I've seen it. Thank you for saying that. And now as you go from here, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen. Thank you.